right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me as always is Gabe Gums. And today we have a very special guest on. His name is James McQuigan. He is a security awareness advocate for Know Before. And James, thank you so much for coming on, man. This is, this is going to be awesome. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week. This is going to be a lot of fun. Great. So I guess to start things off, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where you came from, how you became a security awareness advocate, and, you know, wh- where you're looking to, to head into. Sure. So, wow, where I came from. Um, I've had the distinct pleasure of being born in England, raised in Canada, and now living in the U.S. for the last 30 years. Uh, So, um, but my start into security, into computers, um, goes all the way back to high school. Uh, I was in high school, and there were two things I really enjoyed doing the most. Uh, One was working in computers and programming them and doing all that fun stuff. Um, the other one was theater, uh, where I was uh, in the technical aspects of it, not exactly being a performer on stage. I loved all the technical, all the lighting, all the sound. And then when I left high school, it's like, all right, computers or theater. So I went theater. And uh, I followed a followed my education, doing several years of college and university and then worked professionally here in Orlando uh, with the Orlando Opera Company. So I did it for about six years and got to the point in my life where, you know, the money sucks. <laughs> it, the, uh, the lifestyle was fun. I really enjoyed it. A lot of life skills, but then it was like, no, I gotta, I gotta, you know, for family and, and life and what I want. So I got back into computers and that was the late nineties and a plus certification and working at a help desk. Um, one of the things that I do now uh, is uh, I'm a college professor uh, at Valencia College here in town. And one of the things that I tell all my students is, you know, when you first start working out in IT, you have to work the help desk um, for a variety of reasons. You It gives you communication skills. It gives you troubleshooting skills. Um, your typing skills improve tremendously. Um, and it gives you that, that environment of getting in with a company. But I started out as a help desk, um, worked, did, that, did that for about three years. And then I got hired by a little German company here in town called Siemens. And I worked uh, in their part of the business. But we had a, I started working with a database and doing database management. And then I got into another group about a year later. And that was dealing with a monitoring system that was installed at power plants. And I basically went from working on the application to doing installations to um, then working with networking. And the networking aspect was a lot of fun because then I got into network security, taught myself how to configure routers and firewalls. That was back in the day of PICS, P-I-X firewalls. So um, that was that was what I, I, I broke my teeth on was configuring those and then learned the Cisco IOS. Um, and then um, one of the things in the electricity industry that was very interesting was a thing called NERC-SIP, which was a set of regulations for power plants, transmission facilities that they had to follow by law or would be um, fined. And these were our customers. And so they would come to us and say, hey, are you guys NERC-SIP compliant? And my boss turned to me and goes, are we NERC-SIP compliant? 
So that took me down the road of compliance and, and even more security. Uh, eventually got my CISSP 2008. And then I worked for our corporate security office and discovered where my true passion was with security. And that was security awareness. Uh, coordinated our information security advisory team and was basically communicating monthly to the business, all the different departments, uh, and talking about security once a month, had a meeting with all of them. There was, we had a couple of hundred of them, and that was great. Um, and then, what was it, 2015, 16, got the call from the CEO of our wind division that said, hey, um, we're having to deal with all this nerd stuff. You know that stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. So over to wind I went for about three years. And then last summer, um, I had the opportunity to meet with some folks from Noblefor, and uh, by October, I was one of their employees as a security awareness advocate. And uh, basically with them, it's all about promoting security, security awareness, uh, going to conferences, giving presentations, writing media responses, um, blogs, white papers. Yeah. Uh, and I absolutely love it. You know, uh, people talk about their dream job. Yeah, that's that's right there. It, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the opportunity to be able to talk to people, whether it's through podcasts, whether now with COVID, it's all been through the lens uh, for the last several months. Um, starting to get the itch, wanting to get back out on the road, but I think 2020 is a wash for uh, for COVID um, for all the presentations this year. Uh, this year, DEFCON was really canceled. So... <laughs> But, um, well, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Um, learned a lot from the theater and, um, now just glad to be part of this industry and meeting lots of great people and, and, uh, learning lots of cool stuff. Awesome. Well, speaking of meeting lots of great people, I, I met this great person on the show, James. Um, I don't know when we meet four or five years ago. Yeah. So something along those lines. And, and, uh, we met in the local security, you know, arena in, uh, in, 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 in the Florida area, if you would, uh, central Florida, which you are, you are heavily embedded in. So tell us a little bit about some of the other security work that you do in and around the community. I think folks would be interested in hearing about that. Wow. Yeah. Um, so when I got my CISSP, um, I had heard about ISSA and I had heard about, I well, knew about ISC squared, but they didn't have any chapters. So I went along to the local ISSA chapter and got involved with them and became their vice president. And then uh, I remember getting a phone call. It was like March. It was the first year I'd been doing it. And the current president said, all right, I'm moving to Alaska. You're in charge. I'm like, okay, how do you run a chapter? You know, I'd only seen him do it for a few months, had a few meetings. And lo and behold, he took off and I got dropped into the deep end and very, got act, very much got active with the ISSA international folks. And um, in 2014, we had the conference here in Orlando, the big, huge ISSA one. And that just opened up the door to even meeting even more people uh, and getting involved with them. Um, but then also at the same time with ISC Squared, they had their ISC Squared Foundation. And one of the things that came out of it that I really, really enjoyed was their safe and secure online program. And that was geared to kids, middle school, fifth grade, fourth grade. And one of the cool things was, is my wife's a school teacher and she taught fifth grade social studies at, at uh, the school, like 10 minutes from here. And I said, so I got this cool program. I'd love to come teach your class about it. She's like, sure, come on down. 
So I not only did her fifth grade class, but the other five fifth grade classes they had there as well. I did it that year. And for three more years after that, I did it middle school. I was doing it at churches, I was doing it at other schools, um, had kind of like a little circuit going here in central Florida, going and talking to the students about online safety, everything from your phones. You know, this was when I started doing it, you know, kids were having computers, maybe mom and dad's laptop. There weren't these things. They didn't have the smartphones. Um, they were just coming out with having, you know, becoming more and more popular, but kids were starting to get them. And by the time, um, after about five years, pretty well every kid had a smartphone when I was going to do these presentations. So it was no longer talking about Facebook. It was talking about what you post on Instagram and knowing that if you post it and you're not securing your profile, that anybody can come find it. And when I said anybody, I knew I got to the kids because it was always the kids in the back and their eyes would widen. They were like, anybody can see this, you know? <laughs> so they kept thinking, oh, you know, just because I'm, you know, I'm allowing my, showing it to all my friends, but not realizing that if their account wasn't private, everybody could see it. And so that was, that was key um, when I did those presentations. And then um, I've been actively involved with IAC Squared uh, for the last several years with their chapter. I run the Central Florida chapter. Uh, I did the ISSA one for about three and a half years. And now for the last three and a half years, I've done the ISC squared one. Um, last year, the chapter got chapter. We were recognized as uh, the chapter for North America, which was fantastic. And um, sorry. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I owe it to the members. I owe it to the board, um, but it was great. Um, and so now, and of course with COVID, that's put that to a grinding halt. I've known some other chapters have started up virtual meetings, but for me, it's all about the networking. It's all about meeting people and, and having conversations. And you can't do that really on Zoom meetings or on, um, you know, what other platforms you have. It's just, it's difficult. So we're kind of in limbo right now trying to figure out what we're going to do, but uh, I do miss the, the face-to-face interactions. And, um, but yeah, between ISC squared, um, I've been involved. I was involved with the InfoSec World Conference as well for the last several years. And of course, you and I both presented there this week, Gabe, which was great. Yeah, um, I was like one of the first ones up on uh, Monday morning. It's like, oh, there I am, right after the keynote. Uh, yeah. So I had a good turnout. I was happy to see it, and um, yeah. So hopefully next year we'll be all face to face at uh, back here in Orlando. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. So y- your story about talking to the kids about, uh, you know, being secure online. It, this show is called Privacy Please. Privacy Please, and it's very much privacy-oriented. And that story is very much rooted in the heart of privacy. However, you can't have privacy without security. You can have security without privacy, but not vice versa. Right. And we, we talk a lot on this show about, you know, cybersecurity risk and privacy, security and privacy risk and how at the center of that is data security. But a lot of our shows today to really focus kind of on the privacy risk. We've dabbled a bit in the cybersecurity risk. But one of the reasons having you on today is really exciting for us is we really want to dig into more of the cybersecurity risk side of it. Because again, you know, without cybersecurity, one cannot achieve privacy. And subsequently, uh, on this show a lot, we talk about the human factor. I think on our last two or three shows, we've talked a lot about, you know, how people play a part in, in the overall larger space of cybersecurity and privacy risk, aka data security. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how the human factor plays into 
the security side of the world, because again, I can't say it enough. There is no privacy without security. There, there just isn't. I can have security without privacy, but not vice versa. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but yeah, with regards to, you know, the human factor in cybersecurity, it's a key thing. You know, a lot of the time, and I'm guilty of this, back in my days of working in a help desk, um, we'd have somebody call up going, I can't find the any key. You know, it's like, okay, you know, my cup holder's broken and it was the old CD-ROM tray, right? You know, the, right. the jokes of yesteryear. Um, but I remember being there going, oh my God, these people are so stupid. They don't even know how to use a computer. People need to have driver's license to get a car, people should get a computer license to, to use a computer. Um, and I'm guilty of it. You know, the ID 10 T errors. Um, if you spell that out, you'll get it. Um, or PEBCAT, yep. you know, yep. problem exists between keyboard and chair. Um, I, I live that life every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things is, and I, you know, I touched upon it, you know, people should get a license on how to use a computer. But I think that's a lot of the big problem that's out there when it comes to the human factor in cybersecurity is they just don't know or they know and they don't care. And when they know and they don't care, then you're getting into human nature. You're looking at culture. Um, and, you know, it's not a bad thing because if you think about it, you're driving down the road in your car and you're, you're zipping down I-4 or whatever, speed limit 70 miles an hour. Yeah, I know it's 70, but I'm doing 80. I'm, I got somewhere to be, you know, I know the rule is 70 miles an hour. I don't, do I care? Eh, must not because I'm doing 80 because I got somewhere to be. You, you're an employee in an, in an organization and you're getting these emails. It's like, oh, here's another one of these test phishing emails, delete, delete, delete. Um, or I don't care. I'm going to click on everything. And I've met those people. And so a lot of it comes down to, you know, within your organization, having a policy that reinforces um, those type of assessments when you're doing those, like for example, with phishing, um, your policies is what dictates how people are to behave or the organization or technology is supposed to be behave um, relating back to your principles, relating back to uh, your vision, your mission statement for your company. And if you're an organization that has a lot of intellectual property, has a lot of very sensitive PII information, PCI, uh, credit card information, so forth. And you have employees that are continually clicking the links and failing these assessments. Well, they're not abiding by the rules of the organization. You know, we all make mistakes, you know, and just somebody, somebody clicks on a link, you don't fire them. If it's their seventh time in two months, well, okay. Uh, hopefully there's been conversations. Hopefully there's been uh, ways to work with them, additional training discussions um, and so forth um, versus just, you know, walking them out the door because, you know, they can't, uh, they can't recognize a phishing link, but essentially it comes down to, are they a good fit for the organization? And, you know, I'd also like to think back to coming out of Siemens where working in power plants and wind farms, it's all about health and safety. It's all about, you know, when you go up climbing up a tower, you've got the harness on, you're lashed off, you're, you know, you're, you don't have anything in your pockets that can fall out, you know, and if anything happens that there's an almost an accident, um, you then, you know, you have to then go through a report and everything else. The same thing with cybersecurity, you know, we almost need that like zero days, and I've talked about it before, where you almost need that zero, uh, X number of days since our last cybersecurity incident, you know. 
um, or X number of days since somebody clicked on a phishing link. You know, if you have that and then everybody is a, as a community is in their culture of their organization come together and, you know, strive to make sure that they don't have those problems. Um, and, you know, if you can work the human layer, you know, that takes care of a lot of the problems. Cause when you think about what, what causes these data breaches, what is the root cause of those data breaches? Um, where, you know, you look at ransomware. Well, that get, how does it get in? It gets in either because you've got RDP open on your external firewall. Um, you've got, or you've got somebody that's clicking links or you've got somebody, or you've got unpatched or inconfigured equipment that's sitting on your perimeter. Um, but a lot of the time it's because somebody gets an email, um, they react to it, they click on a link, they open an attachment and in essence, it opens it up for the bad guys. I always like to use the, the notion of, you know, if you're at home, you're living in a neighborhood and you start hearing about a rash of burglaries going on, well, then you're going to take the proper steps to make sure that your home is protected. You're going to make sure the security system's on. You've got your monitoring turned on. You've got motion sensor lights, maybe bars on the windows, hopefully not. Um, you might even have that beware of dog sign in the front window, which if you have three cats, nobody knows you've got a dog. Unless you hey, they, they can be vicious. They can be vicious cats, yeah. <laughs> hey, cats have no regrets. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to plug them again. But uh, in the last episode, we did talk about how cats want to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I say that as a cat lover. <laughs> yeah, true. but the minute somebody walks into my house, my cats take off. So, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, Unless you're touching their food bowl or their litter box, yeah, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> And then they might be your friend. But... Uh, I have a beware of dog sign on my front window. And when you ring my doorbell, you hear barking dogs. Granted, it freaks the cats out every single time, but um, I had I had somebody stop by my house, drop something off, and they knew we didn't have dogs. And they're like, I didn't know you had a dog. I said, I don't. I said, but it makes you think I do. So when it comes to, you know, trying to break into my home, you know, there's you thinking there's a dog there. So you're kind of deterred away from it. Same thing goes with, you know, in an organization, you know, and, and this is kind of like the more security people in the, the leadership positions. If you know organizations are getting broken into and data being stolen, what are you doing for your home, your organization to make sure that doesn't happen? And a lot of that does come down to the, to human, to the human behaviors, the culture in the organization. Um, we heard, Gabe, you probably heard it as well, the, the keynote from Monday yep. uh, for InfoSec World. Jamil, and he was talking about within um, Speedy, no, Spearing. Yep. Yeah. Basically, culture is a part of one of the four pillars for their company for security. It's all about human culture and the different things that they do. And I was just like, yes. You know, that's kind of like, you know, I look at security awareness programs or security programs in general, you know, and you've got your ad hoc, you've got one that you've got something going on. And then when you've got an automated assessment program and you're doing training and people are going through it, that's like phase three. Phase four is now when you start, everybody's doing it without thinking. It's all automated on the human level and it's a part of that culture. If you, I don't know if you want to put this in if for your company or for just in general, if you were, I guess we can put yourself in the seat of maybe some of the companies that you try to educate around security or maybe some of the schools or you teaching, if, if they had an extra X amount of budget, how would you spend it and why, or how would you tell them to spend it when it comes to security? Good question. How to spend it on security. 
So for everything that you're going to do in your organization, you're going to have your procedures, you're going to have your technology, and you're going to have your people. And, you know, first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to look at, okay, where, where's our weakest link? Where are the problems that we've got in the organization? Um, you know, our emails getting in uncontrollably. Okay. Then we do, we need to bump up the technology aspects, the email gateways and make those a little more secure. Um, do your people know how to spot a phishing, a phishing email? You know, do we need to do more security awareness? Um, but for me, a lot of it comes down to is, okay, let's see where we need to spend the money. Um, because overall, when it comes to security awareness programs, and at least from, from no before, um, I can't speak to other companies, but I know from the know before perspective, it is a lot cheaper to get security awareness training and phishing assessments and that full program than it is for a data breach. I mean, you know, the, what was it? What was this from the figures I saw the other day? The average ransom nowadays, and that's just an easy one to pick, but the average ransomware fee is about $114,000 average. On average, it's about $760,000 to remediate if you get hit with ransomware. I assure you, any security awareness program is going to be worth a tenth of that um, or less, depending on how many employees you've got and everything else. Yeah. If you can, you know, you can educate and get your employees and get the culture, that's a part of it. Then you're looking at your, your technology aspects of it as well and get that, you know, because then you make it less work on the the humans um, because you're being, you've got the technology to be able to stop the phishing attacks. And, but if a phishing attack happens and some malware drops, then you want to have that technology to be able to spot it and recover from it. So if you can do, you know, you see it, you detect it, you recover from it, then that's going to help as well. Um, You know, so I, I think honestly, a lot of it comes down to is, you know, where are the weakest links and then addressing them that way. Good answer. His, Here's another one. Did I get the job? Sorry. <laughs> well, test questions in an interview. So, if you had well, a million dollars, what would you do? We'll send you an email. We'll let you know. We well, talk not a million it. dollars, but it is a question that uh, we do ask on the show once in a while. The exact opposite. If you only had a hundred dollars, right, to spend on security, what would you do? <laughs> and I'll see you in Razor. <laughs> <laughs> um. I only had a hundred dollars to spend on security in general, overall, overall. Talk about getting creative. Yeah. Probably go out and buy an expensive bottle of bourbon. Cause I'm gonna- a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hundred dollars. Well, I think, you know, part of it would be, you know, you can't buy any technology for a hundred bucks. No. So WinRAR maybe, but I don't know if that, that counts. WinRAR maybe, but no one pays for that. <laughs> you pay for WinRAR? Exactly. <laughs> um, I've seen some memes on, on That's that. That's right. That's right. Um, honestly, I think what it may come down to is to be creative, I would probably go out and buy a handful of $10 gift cards for Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever your coffee place and I would give those out to the first 10 people that I saw or the top or 10 people that exhibited security culture in the organization um, and start there uh, because I would have to be able to see, okay, do we have anybody doing cybersecurity or having that awareness in the organization and, you know, preventing tailgaters from walking in the front door, you know, those kind of things and reward them and kind of make them go, Oh, I got, 
I got free coffee because, you know, um, for something good that I did, you know, and if that kind of gets word, word gets spread around and it's like, Ooh, there's the carrot instead of the sick, the stick. They're not coming to kill us every time we click a link. It's like, Ooh, we got, we did something right. We got rewarded. You know, that would hopefully kind of say, all right, where's our culture and uh, where do we need to go? And then uh, go back to upper management and go, okay, this is what we got to do. And then hopefully get the million dollars. I like your answer. I like your answer a lot because I really have a strong appreciation for not just security culture, but incentive programs around security. On top of the fact that we are too often seen as the department of no, we're also too often seen as the department of sticks and not the department of carrots. So no, I really do appreciate that. Um, You know, it does remind me we, we should, uh, cause there's, there's some cool people out there doing some really cool things in the security incentives world. We should we should probably have some of them in the show. Um, shout out to to Masha Sidover over at uh, over at Elevate Security for doing similar things, right? Cool. Um, yeah, and no shameless plug. We have absolutely no association through this organization. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it does bring me to my follow up question, which is again back to that human element. How do you, through awareness, offer more carrots, right? So a lot of it for me, uh, and this has come from running a chapter. This has come from running a security awareness program at Siemens. Um, one of the things that I did um, for the ISA, so the information security advisors, one of the things that I did was we did an annual event every year. I love going to conferences. I love meeting people, you know, learning stuff in, you know, in a room full of people and that kind of stuff. So one of the things that I did uh, running the ISA program was we did an annual meeting and we did it at Disney. Um, one of the cool things was Siemens was a sponsor of Disney of Walt Disney and the golf ball was our, our main sponsorship. And behind the golf ball, there's actually a set of meeting rooms and that was available to us to rent at no charge within the organization. So we were able to go do board meetings. We were able to do whatever events at that, at that location. Um, we just had to be there for six hours of the day and order the Disney food. And, you know, that's where the money came in. But that was kind of the reward just to the ISA, the ISA members uh, that, hey, look, you know, and the day was spent doing presentations. I had the FBI come in and do a presentation, brought in and get special speakers and that kind of thing. Because that was kind of the reward for them to say, okay, look, now you need to go out into your departments and spread the carrots, so to speak. Um, so that was kind of like their reward. Uh, but I'm all about wanting to give back to the people that are doing the work. And so with the ISC Square chapter, one of the things we did last year, which was really cool, um, we did an annual meeting. Everybody got a polo shirt with the logo on it, the chapter logo. Everybody got a challenge coin. And I have never seen more people hungry. Actually, you're right over my shoulder. More people hungry for challenge coins. Oh, here it is. My, you know, shameless plug, but, um, nope, that's not it. Um, But basically had a a challenge coin for the chapter for our members. Um, Where is, of course, I'm not prepared, so I don't have it ready. Anyway, (laughs) but more people were excited to get the coin than anything else um, because it was like, oh my, like the $5 or a $10 gift card. It, it's that sense of 
uh, uh, belonging. You know, you're you're a member of the chapter. Here's the coin. You know, educate, inspire, secure, um, and you know, and, and promote that within your organization. And so, when they they have that bit, and then they see that every day, then that just kind of adds that reminder to you know keep that awareness and keep that uh, culture going. That's interesting. And no worries about the coin. You can find it if you want to search I'm for nuts. it. <laughs> We can, we can, we can throw it in there at some point. But um, so one of my questions for you is, you know, aside from COVID, because I'm sure everybody's had enough talk about COVID, but what do you think the biggest challenge you have with your, your current role right now? How, how are you overcoming it? And the biggest challenge you're dealing with right now? Well, I think my biggest challenge is, is not being able to get out and, see see people network um you know part of what my role is is promotion of of security awareness um of no before um, you know going out to conferences giving presentations um so that's been honestly that's been the the unfortunate part but i found other ways right now one of the things i do a lot of throughout the day is media responses you know well you know something data breach happens or there's a vulnerability or a leak and so we get uh, we're approached to see if we want to provide any comments of it. And, you know, 250, 300 word response. Um, you do a couple of those a day, but sometimes you get a couple that come, come across your desk and it takes, Hmm, let me do a little research. And so you do a little digging. So that's kind of where the, the work has been good in that sense. Um, and then doing webinars, podcasts. I've, uh, I've done, I've done several podcasts this year, which has been fun. Um, yeah, you guys are the best so far. Thanks. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> but doing podcasts is a lot of fun. And, you know, but doing it with people that you know and, you know, you, you get a chance just to kind of, you know, make it seem like a conversation, like you're standing up on stage having a conversation or you're, you're doing hallway con and having that conversation. It's just this is being recorded and, and putting out there. Um, but I've done webinars. I've still done presentations. It's uh, I'm even teaching online as well through, you know, through these virtual meetings. Um, it's not the same that having that in-person connection. And I do hope this all goes away soon so we can kind of get back to that. But um, I'm extremely thankful that the no before is in the position that it is, that I'm still able to keep doing this and promote this because there are a lot of people working from home and there are even bigger targets. Now we've seen in the initial spike when it came out in March of all the COVID phishing attacks, um, it's still pretty rampant. It's not as high as it was originally. It's kind of um, gone down, but there are still tens of thousands of attacks out of the hundred thousand plus that are going on every day. Um, so it, it's, it's still prevalent, but folks still need to be vigilant when it comes to, you know, those COVID emails or emails coming in. Um, I know for me at no before we, we eat our own dog food. I get fish twice a week. Um, I, and it cracks me up because knock wood, I've been good so far. Um, <laughs> we've had other folks in our organization get, you know, end up clicking on those phishing links and uh, they, our CEO was one of them um, where, and then you got to go through the training again. Um, so for me, it's like, yep, don't want to go through the training, but it makes me more, more vigilant on my email when it comes in, especially my work one. So yeah, it, it comes in, it's like, Hey, we're doing a policy change. And um, we do a stand-up meeting every day, which I think is fantastic. It's kind of kept the the the, um, 
the group together, the organization together, because we have a daily meeting. We hear from the CEO. Um, and that's when they usually let us know if there's new policies or changes coming out, we're going to get an email. So if I get an email that comes in about a policy change, I'm like, yeah, we didn't talk about it at the meeting. So yeah, I'm going to call uh, fish on that one. But if you're in an organization where they don't have that and you get an email about your policy change or whatever, check with somebody else. Hey, did you get this email? Did you know about this policy change? You know, rather than going, oh my gosh, I got to open up this PDF and see what's inside here or open up a Word doc and enable macros. Yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, just to go back to your uh, knock on wood statement, is that a uh, hand carved mahogany over there or what you got rocking? Teak. Teak. Teak desk. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. That passes. I'll let that pass. Yeah. This desk has been in my family. My parents had it before me. Um, 35, I don't know, yeah, 35 years. And then somebody else had it before it. So it's very well worn. It's great. I love it. Um, it's actually sits in the middle of my office man cave in here. So it's over to my right or my, all my other, all my other computers. So, oh, there you go. Yeah. Are you, uh, and just to give, paint everybody a picture in, in your office that, uh, isn't on video. He's got a wall of uh, Doctor Who, so you're, I, I take it you're a pretty big fan. Is that is that right? Yeah, I uh, I I was watching Doctor Who before Doctor Who was cool. Um, you know, it had a big surgeon in uh, 2010, 11 with with uh, the Matt Smith uh, that was the doctor, but I was watching it in the 70s when I was seven, eight, nine. Um, so, um, but I was yeah, I mean, and it's. When it came back in 2006, um, my wife and my daughter started watching it, and it became a family thing. So every Saturday night when it was on, we'd sit and watch it. And um, so we ended up going to Doctor Who conferences and other, you know, Comic-Con type things and meeting the actors. And so a lot of what's behind me is artwork from local artists as well as posters from magazines and stuff like that that I I collected. And and, um, uh, pictures with the actors autographs so yeah awesome that's really neat so before i i jump into our last segment of some fun questions do you have anything that you want to add that we didn't talk about um i always like to bring this up just is there anything that you want to throw out there for anyone in security um or that you just want to talk about that we didn't touch on good question i think we covered a lot i mean yeah when we look at you know the the department of no to try and be um, you know, more accepting, try to work with your organization. You know, when it comes to human nature, you know, you're going to have people, like I said, you're going to have people that are going to know, but don't care, you know, so how do you get them to care? Uh, a lot, sometimes that involves nudging. Um, there's a, in the presentations that I do, and I've got to give it to, uh, give the, the source uh, to Perry Carpenter, who's our chief security evangelist, um, who did a lot of psychology analysis on this. And I steal it with pride, his slide that has a picture of a urinal from Germany and it's got a little fly on it. And what it was is it was a story about a German janitor who every night would, would be going into the bathrooms to clean around the, the urinal stalls and the amount of splash on the floor was a little excessive. So he decided to paint a little fly in each of the urinals and lo and behold, the splash around the urinals was 
uh, reduced. Uh, basically giving people, giving men a target, you know, for going to the bathroom. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> all these nudges, you know, and if you can find that nudge for your organization, you know, you think about when you're having to come up with a password and we all love doing that, um, <laughs> but you're coming up with a password and you've got that little bar that's red. And then as the more characters you type and you put in the uppercase and lowercase and the numbers and the symbol, it turns green and you're like, oh, yay, I got a strong password. Okay. You know, I'm being a little, you know, exaggerating with <laughs> relation with the expression of what you really get um you're like thank god that one got taken but you know if you can find that nudge yeah it gets them in the security mindset gives them that motivation um to uh to you know secure or follow the security practices um but that's kind of that next step when you yeah you got a security program you got the money you got the funding you implement it you start fishing but okay now how do you get the culture bumped up and that's kind of that nudge is, is kind of there for it. Love that. <laughs> I love that story because I've been to Germany and I've seen them and I've seen the flies that are on there. And I'm like, oh, look, a fly. <laughs> I love that Squirrel. story because I, I understand why the need to paint it was there. And I'm, I'm deeply troubled by the, by the fact that it's a thing. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, you're, when you're training little boys to go to the bathroom, you throw in Cheerios. Hmm. So, I don't so have more- a little boy, so I wouldn't know. So. <laughs> A more serious question for you. Um, if, if you could end coronavirus by sacrificing one genre of music, what would it be and, and why country music? <laughs> I saw that the other day. Yes, I, I had to ask you that. Oh, my God. I love, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, um, when, I moved down to, when I moved to Florida, um, I ended up living in Texas for three years uh, when I met my wife. And we got, and I moved over there to get married. And when I moved out to Texas, um, I got into Garth Brooks and I got into um, listening to him for a few years. And then I came back and a friend of mine introduced me to Brad Paisley before Brad Paisley was cool. And, um, you know, I got in, I had my country music phase, you know, Mm -hmm. being in Texas, I had the belt buckle, I had the boots, I never got the hat. Um, But yeah, no, if I could get rid of one, genre of music i don't know if it'd be country music it would probably i don't know what i see i've never been a big fan and i'm gonna get shot for this but i've never been a big fan of rap music but i've come to appreciate it over the years sure. and the message and the things that they did. i just never understood it i think that was just my problem there's um, only one right answer to this question dubstep I think it's, I think that's already dying off anyways. Unless of course there's a country dubstep, in which case (laughs) there's the right answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I grew up on, I grew up on old school country. So, uh, you know, I I can kind of relate. How old school? Yeah. Twitty or Johnny Cash? Like what are we talking about here? (laughs) Oh man. Probably some artists that you guys have never even heard of, to be honest with you. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember the name, so I'm not even going to try to throw it out there. See, for me, growing up, it was the Beatles. It was Elton John, because uh, my parents, yeah, well, my parents yeah. were from Liverpool, so yeah, it was that. Nice. That's what a lot of what I grew up on. And those are good ones. What What's your spirit animal? Well, it was a dragonfly on on the Harry Potter world the other day. Um, but um, my spirit animal? Oh, good question. Never really thought about that. And it was funny because 
couple of years ago, I went on a couple of job interviews and um, I actually, I got prepared or I was looking at interview questions and that was one of them. I'm like, why on somebody <laughs> earth would we want to ask that question? Is it just to kind of think about how quickly people can think on their feet and come up with a response for it, which maybe, you know, it might be that. Um, Good to see how they think of themselves maybe, or it's kind of, it's an interesting question, but I think a spirit animal, either that or what's your favorite animal, either a lion or a jaguar. Um, the lion for several reasons from the fact that I've always enjoyed the movie, the lion King. I love the music in the lion King, not Mm -hmm. the, not the, the Elton John music, but the African tribal music that they Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was just it's yeah. uplifting. It was extremely up. Yeah. Extremely uplifting yeah. choral. It was just it, like, gotcha pumped, you know? Um, and I always enjoyed that. But the Jaguar um, was because when I got married, um, one of the things that I was responsible for was the limousine from, to take us from the church to the reception. And when I saw what the cost of it was, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This hundred <laughs> three fifty for a 20 minute ride. And I'm like, let's see if I can rent a car. So I rented a Jaguar and had it for four, four or five days and loved riding the Jaguar. And of course that set off a whole thing of studying about Jaguars, the animal, the car and everything else. <laughs> yeah. so that would probably, be that was my mom's dream car. And Jaguar. I know at the time, yeah, I know that they've come, they've made more affordable um, yeah. models nowadays, which is pretty neat, but that's I always have to say um, that, Driving that Jaguar around that week was the second best thing that happened that week, um, you know, besides getting married. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, and as much as I would tell my wife that- James, she's not around. Uh, she's mm-hmm. out the hall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a long answer. <laughs> uh, well, the funny, thing was, the funny thing was we joked, she would tell me for years that if I ever bought a Jaguar, it better come with a shower in it. <laughs> That's where I'd be living. So I'm like, all right. So my goal one day is, is hopefully I'll own one, but you know. I'm not be a big car or be a small shower. Either way. Or a small shower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not even going to ask you this because I already know it. What's your favorite TV show? Obviously, Doctor Who, I would imagine. Doctor Who is a big favorite. Um, you know, I love watching Friends, especially now that it's on back on a, a streaming. Always a classic. You know, uh, How I Met Your Mother, the comedies. I love, I love TV shows that entertain me, but then also challenge the intellect. Yeah. Um, Sherlock that they had on BBC was brilliant. Oh, that was so good. Um, but they had two brilliant actors too. So, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I started watching, I watched the first episode of Perry Mason, the new one. That was kind of interesting. There's a new Perry Mason. Wow. Yeah. It's, but it's completely different. He's a detective in the thirties. It's bizarre. Interesting. Um, but there's, the, a, there's a, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the one show that is the family favorite though, would be Jeopardy. Uh, it's our, Oh Yeah the one show we watch every night, but um, I can't watch it with my wife. Um, she gets every answer, right? Well, that, that's, it's funny. You should say your wife, because with my wife, uh, she gets all the answers um, because she's been on the show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah it was about eight years ago. She did it. That's uh, really cool. Out there, And we did a whole family vacation around it. Jeopardy shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. So. Pro, tip. Pro tip. Everyone should have a default answer. My default Jeopardy answer is Ben Hur. I don't know the answer. I'm going Ben Hur every time. <laughs> ben Hur. Ben Hur. Forty-two. Yes. <laughs> also, I think, you, I think the correct term is uh, what is Ben Hur? What is Ben Hur? Who? Yeah, yeah. Who is Ben Hur? Yeah, yeah. Who is Ben Hur? <laughs> iPhone or Android? 
Uh, hello, iPhone. Okay, thank you. Thank you. We don't need to go into that. If, if your house was on fire, what two things would you run back and get? I'm throwing them at you. <laughs> if I had time and I knew the family was safe, it would be the wedding album and my hard drives, my backup hard drives. There you go. I got so them in the cloud. We know wife, 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 save yourself. We know James does not trust the cloud to back up any data. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I have the cloud, but it, you know how long it takes to download four terabytes of data? Um, or 12, sorry, 12 terabytes. It's all my photography pictures. Um, what was the previous question? I had to oh, about the iPhone Android. So funny story. When I worked at my last job, um, there was one of the security guys who was diehard Android and I was diehard iPhone. And every time a vulnerability come out, he'd send me an email. Every time there was an Android <laughs> vulnerability, he'd send me an email. Best thing ever. We had the FBI at one of our, one of these conferences um, I turned to the FBI agents for them. I said, all right, guys, which one's better, Android or iPhone? And they all looked at me. They looked over at my part, my buddy, and they looked back at me and went, iPhone. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I'll tell you, I got blue snarfed at, uh, at DEF CON a couple years ago. And no. I, I, I've gone back to iPhone for that reason. Like my inner geek loves the Android. Yes. But yeah. my, my inner security side, like I, I can't yeah. do it. I just can't do it. No offense. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the the Android, they're both great phones. They do what you need to do. There are some people that, but I look at it, it's Coke or Pepsi, you know, VHS or Betamax. Um, Mm -hmm. um, You know, did Carol's husband or not, you know? um, Isn't the iPhone coming out with um, Android's old idea 10 years ago about the the live tiles? Yes. Yeah. 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 About time. Yeah. For me, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, I sit there and go, when are they? going to cut, you know, how can they come up with new ideas every year? And then I like, oh, that's right. They just look at what Android did and then perfect, <laughs> and then they yeah. perfect it. Yeah. yeah. They got so many years to just add one each year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm still waiting for the, the capability of double tapping, seeing all the apps and hitting one button and closing them all at once. They still don't have that in there. So you got to close them one at a time. It's like, oh. Hey, a guy can dream. You know? I heard the next version of the iPhone is actually going to allow you to make phone calls now, too. Though. Oh, that's a thing still? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, just, I feel, I feel like... Sure, because I think it is. <laughs> I feel like the only thing I get every day now is uh, Scam Likely. That's about everything I... Scam Likely. A good friend of mine, Chris, gave me this sticker, so I, uh, I have that on the, on the back all the time. Nice. My wife's got one on her, on her phone, too. So Everybody gets a kick out of it, especially when we're taking pictures. They're like... <laughs> well james this has been awesome we really appreciate you coming on thanks so much um, i really appreciate it yeah um so is, is there anywhere that you have people follow you or um on social media do you do you like that kind of thing yeah i'm uh, i'm on twitter at at james underscore mcquiggan uh, i'm sure that'll probably show up in the show notes um or i'm on linkedin as well uh, as james mcquiggan um there are two there are several of us in the world one of them is my cousin um, but he's based in Scotland. So, uh, Oh, nice. But yeah. Does he have the, is he Scottish? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I might need to talk to him. I love, I love a Scottish accent. Oh, I'm yeah. going to try one right now, but, uh, and you have a, speaking of Scottish, yeah, I got a little something from the Highlands right here. And, uh, and <laughs> you also have right? a talk live right now from InfoSec world. So folks should go check that out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's on demand. Yeah. Nice. My you and yours too. Your cloud talk was good, man. Right on. Appreciate it. 
I had a plan while I was working, <laughs> which was kind of, that was kind of the cool thing with the virtual. I could actually be working on stuff and look up and listen. And, no, mm-hmm. yeah, it was good. I appreciate it. It was, I got to tell you, you guys pivoted really, really quickly on that one and it better than, better than I could have imagined. So yeah, it was really good. Awesome, awesome work by the InfoSec World staff. Awesome. Jennifer and, and all of them, yeah. Wendy, Doug, they all did a fantastic job with it. But let's get it in real life next year. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, James. I really appreciate it. We, we, we need and want to have you back. Absolutely. Thank you. Definitely come Thanks, back. James. again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.